This is what our God does in our lives tonight. Let's open our hearts wide to His Word. You can grab a seat. I want to welcome Pastor Billy Williams. Billy leads uh, Dion, an Indigenous church which was planted out of Bridgman, and he's also a preaching pastor here. So I would love it if you could feel, make Billy feel really welcome tonight. Would be good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Bridgie. It's uh, I haven't been here for a little while. And uh, for those that don't know me, Billy Williams, and um, yeah, it's a real privilege to be here. I, I get sparked, I get, I get memories when something physical happens. And having to sit apart, this is my first time I've had to do it, just took me straight back to year six, my primary school. For those of you that know me, I grew up in a little town, 600 people, and I've got a pretty large family, 76 first cousins. A lot of those cousins lived in that small town. And in year six, because we were the top of primary school, the teacher said, you can sit wherever you want in the classroom. And of course, I sat next to my cousin. But the teacher knew I was a class clown. So the teacher said, no, William, you've got to move. So I moved and I sat next to my next cousin. I said, no, William, you've got to move. And about three or four times, and I ended up like Nathan is there. Poor old Nathan, everybody. So you must be the naughty kid, the class clown, mate. So so it just sparked me. It's, a, it's an interesting old um, time that we're living in. And um, it, I'm sure for most of us, there's been um, changes because of this COVID season. Certainly for me, even with that family. Uh, this was going to be quite a big year for my family, my Williams family, because we were due to go back home. Um, I was fortunate when I grew up in my small town. I had my mother's mother, my grandmother, with us. And also had my father's father. And uh, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, um, he, he actually was in the army for a while. And uh, we, we had a photo. This was due to be the 100th year of his birth for my grandfather. And um, uh, we were going to go back home and march in our small town's Anzac parade. My grandfather was born on Anzac Day. And his name was, you won't be able to see it, but his name was Anzac, George James Williams. And he had a stint in the, in, the, um, uh, in the infantry, in the light horse division, and then in the transport division. Um, and I remember when I was a young fella, I, I asked him, I was about 10 or 11, and I said to my pop, you know, I was a young fella who's right into army and stuff like that. And when I found out my pop, he never talked about it. And when I found out that he'd been in the army, I said, pop, what was it like? I remember that young 10, 11 year old enthusiasm. And I didn't realize that at the time my pop said, oh, I, Son, I don't know, I closed my eyes and shot, he said, you know, and, and I didn't really think much about it, but as I look back, I can now see what my grandfather was doing. Um, I have to be honest tonight, I've, I've, I've had no experience of a physical war. It's easy to romanticise it, but my, my grandfather knew the horrors of war. And on that day when he said, I just closed my eyes, he didn't want to really talk about it. He never really spoke about it. And, and I want to be sensitive tonight because, as I said, I've not been in a physical war. But I do know that there are people listening here tonight, listening perhaps on video, and you do know what it's like. Maybe you've served in the armed forces. And I know that there are people listening either here tonight or online who you've perhaps fled conflict when you grew up, when you had a home and, and you were forced with this. So it, it, it's a sensitive thing that I want to be carry with humility tonight because that's the metaphor that we've got and, and, but I do want to just sort of be conscious of it that, that this series is called 
the invisible war and it is the imagery that's come across and, and we're going to explore it, but I, I, I acknowledge that. And, and in acknowledging this, the, the spiritual battle or the invisible war, whichever way you want to put it, um, I, I acknowledge two things at the start. One is you can go way too far into it. I know that feeling. Um, I was very privileged, um, Bridgie, a, a long time ago, and still has a partnership, but we sent a missionary team, a missions team, to the Solomon Islands. And when we went over there, we were you know, building relationships, and one of the things we did was we took a generator and a data projector over to the Solomon Islands. And on this particular night, we set up the, the, the generator and the data projector, and we were gonna show, it was quite, um, it had just come out, I think, was the, the passion of the Christ. We thought, wow, this modern technology, you know, felt a bit like Santa Claus, giving a bit of a, you know, here we go. And we set it up, started the generator, put it on, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it was, the movie was going, and the next minute, the generator went down. And I thought, spiritual battle. So I just went over and placed my hand on the machine and prayed for it. Oh, and they come back on. Yeah, started back up. Off we go. Yes, it's good. Spiritual battle. I better get a bit serious. I put my knee, one knee, you know what I mean? Just start a bit. Two or three times going back, playing for this thing. Uh, what happened was, yeah, sure, it might have been that, but what it was was someone had not put the choke off on the generator. And I seem to remember every other detail other than the person who left the choke on. I don't know why that could be, people. I don't know why. I would not remember the specifics of who left the choke on, uh, if you get my drift. Um, me. <laughs> and here I am praying up, thinking this is huge. And you know, this is what's interesting in the story. Every time that generator went down, every time that screen went blank, one of the local pastors took the opportunity to jump up and to speak truth and life and light into his people. It was packed, there was people everywhere. And I'm so busy thinking there's this demon in this machine that I'm missing this beautiful opportunity that Pastor Zion took up. And it was a real fresh reminder for me that there is, can be, there can be a tendency to lean way too far down into this thing and see everything as the spiritual battle, tripping over a table or, you know, and so that's an inherent danger. But also I recognise the other side. The spiritual reality is very important. And I know lots of stories, um, for any of you that know some of the people in Dion, one year for, for us as Dion, we went down to a big conference down in Melbourne and, and one of our young girls, Bobby, at the time, this was a few years ago, she was walking along and this girl walked straight up to her. And this girl, this is the language Bobby used. She said, she manifests as a demon right in front of me. And, and just this thing, this spiritual encounter happened right before her very eyes. And so what I'm trying to say is, I wanna be cautious that we don't lean too far down here and be looking for the demons in every corner. But equally, we must be alert, we must be aware to the reality that is the invisible war. And so, it's with that in mind that I wanna talk to you tonight and I wanna hold this cautiously. This is a big topic and there are lots of different ideas around this. If you start this as a connect group and you follow through the notes, you'll see that some of those notes are different to what I share tonight. And there's lots of different angles to come from in this thing called the invisible war. 
But for me, as I said, I've got no war experience per se, a physical war. I've had spiritual encounters and I recognise those. But I also want to say up front that I'm not a Hebrew, I'm not a Jewish person. Now that's really important for me because I want to recognise the Hebrew context and the Hebrew contributors of the Bible, the, the Jewish people who, this is their sacred text. And they have concepts and ideas that were very true for them, that they understood inherently. And I, I guess it's a pity, but they didn't realise that they might be writing for Billy Williams because I had to share on this first night of the series in 2020. They didn't realise I wouldn't be a Hebrew person, that I wouldn't be a Jewish person, that I, I might have to try and figure out because what happens in their stories is they assume some things because they're speaking to their own people, because this is a story that they carry, there are some assumptions in these stories, thinking you know what's going on. And because we don't, we must interpret those things. And so I recognise that. There's a, a task at hand to interpret the scriptures. And so that keeps me quite humble tonight. I'm on a journey in this. I know many theologians who very cautiously enter this space because there are lots of different ideas. I have to admit, one of the key areas I've been swimming in is a podcast called The Bible Project. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. But they literally have hours of scholarly conversations and, and on all different topics. And one of the particular ones is about this spiritual warfare. And so I, I guess I want to recommend it tonight. If you're interested to dig a bit more, to find out a bit more, maybe even alongside your connect group, uh, then I can encourage you. There's literally hours of really in-depth conversations that can take place. And so with that in mind, I cautiously and humbly want to talk to you tonight on this intro night. And one thing that I can confidently talk about, one thing that I want to present that's very clear is in the introduction to the Hebrew Bible, in the introduction for us, what we see is a creator. And so this is clearly presented. There is a creator. And what this creator has done is created the physical world. And so what we see, we see in the Genesis account, we see that the land is formed that light and dark is formed, that trees and, and plants are formed, and that the, the rivers are designated. And we also see then this culmination with animals, but then of course we see the creation of the first terrestrial beings, humans. This origin story of how people came to be and literally how the dirt was used, made from the soil and the breath, recognising the spirit blown into their people. And so there's this, this pre presentation of the creator and he creates the physical world. But also, as the story unfolds, it's this beautiful thing, but we get to see this picture of this choice that these people get, whether they will follow God whether they will listen and heed and make decisions based on this God. And in Genesis 3, what we actually come across is in essence a rebellion. The story is a good story, but now we see a twist. And this rebellion, this choice is made and it turns everything around. Now that might be not unfamiliar to you as you gather. Yes, of course. 
But one of the other things that I think is powerful here is God is making terrestrial beings, humans, the physical world. But there is also this creation of celestial beings. And throughout the Bible, there might be different language, different words used. You might have heard of heavenly hosts. You might have heard of angels. Even angel armies are discussed. And one of the, one of the current sort of phrases that's starting to be used quite a bit is this concept of God having created not just the human beings, but in essence, a divine council. There's this picture, and I was sort of parallel, but I think the better picture is parallel. The creator of everything has created humankind, but he's also in the spiritual realm created divine beings. He is the creator of all. And one of the powerful things for me is that we don't get, whereas in the human story we find out about the origins. This is one of these Hebrew, it appears to me, one of the Hebrew assumptions is we're not told necessarily about this creation. It's just assumed that you know as a listener. Of course, these celestial beings have been made. In fact, think about it. Uh, in, in the Genesis account with the humans, there's this talking snake that just pops up into the story, no questions asked. This assumption is, yeah, of course you know about this stuff. There's a spiritual realm that you have to consider. This manifestation, the reality of the spiritual, there it is. And one of the problems, I think, is we don't get the origin story straight away for the, for the celestial. But we are told right in parallel, Genesis 3, the humans rebel, and in Genesis 6, we see a rebelling from these celestials. Listen to what it says. Here it is in Genesis 6. So I'm reading from the NLT. The heading says a world gone wrong. This is what it says. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God, very important phrase, saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time for their only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Whew. I've not heard a kid's talk on Genesis 6. That is a wild story in the scriptures. And there's so much in this. I mean, this, the scriptures are such a sacred text that explore you before they, you get to explore them. How powerful. There are so many things. The 120 years, what's going on there? These giants, what's going on there? But one of the things I want to show you, this, this inherent thought, is of course these celestial beings. And the phrase here is sons of God, the sons of Elohim. This, this concept that God has created spiritual beings, not just human beings. And they too, like us, have a choice. And here we're told, and there's this beautiful, even in English, uh, we, don't, we, we quite miss it a little bit in NLT, verse two, the sons of God 
saw the beautiful women. What it, in essence, it's saying the sons of God saw the daughters of men. So these Hebrew, the Hebrew picture is saying these spiritual beings, they've crossed, they've crossed a boundary here. And it's very interesting, in the garden, there's this picture being portrayed that when the humans saw how good the apple was, there's something about this seeing. And here they are, these sons of God, who had the privilege to be in this relationship, had been given you know, authority and co-custodianship, but they step over what was given. These stories are paralleled. That's very powerful. So the creator creates. There's this beautiful picture, that's what a creator does. And he's created terrestrial and celestial beings. And it appears to me as we read it that there is, he's assigned a custodial role. Humans have got their place in space, their territory to be co-custodians with their creator. And these celestial beings, they too have been given honor. And they're allowed to, to be co-custodians within their realm on God's behalf. And of course, the story, it, it appears to me, seems to then talk about territories, assigned places, and almost to me a hierarchy. There's these different levels and layers going on, different responsibilities that, that both people and these divine counsel are being invited to participate in. And so that's fascinating. I want you to hang on to that hierarchical bit that territorial bit. Later on in the story, we're gonna re- you're gonna hear stories in the Bible of literally angels who were looking after particular places where evil ones, ones who'd made bad choices, celestial beings, and they've got control over certain territories. But there's also this hierarchy at play. And it seems to me, here's the key thing for me, it seems like there's this importance, this priority that God has placed on free choice. So I want you to hang on to that concept of hierarchy and I want you to hang on to this concept of free choice. God gave humans a free choice. They can decide. These celestial beings were given a free choice. They can decide. That was so informative and helpful for me to see this because now we can really understand this spiritual battle And I want you to see in the Old Testament that the reality for their lived experience was a powerful part of where they got their imagery. So in the Old Testament, you'll read about kings because that's what they saw on earth. There were kings, therefore there's armies. And so the the Old Testament's filled with stories about armies, territories, people looking after certain places. That's the, the reality of their lives. Battles, therefore, became a big part of what they spoke of. And this is the backdrop to the Jewish New Testament understanding. When Jesus enters the scene, this is exactly what they've inherited, this concept. Kings, armies, territories, battles. And this imagery is gonna be kept in the Bible narrative. And it's a powerful one. This seen and unseen world is gonna be very important for people to, to hold intention. I've, I've found it fascinating over this season. Have you noticed that when people are talking about this COVID, 
that most people start to use the phrase, it's an unseen enemy. Have you come across that? Well, I find that quite insightful because what, what they're trying to grab is to say, we can't see this enemy physically with our own eyes, but gee, we can see the results of what it does. And I find that to be very helpful when it comes to the invisible battle, to spiritual warfare, because we may not see the demons, but we can see the effects, the influence in the spiritual that plays out in the physical. And so that for me has become, you know, it's become something that's helped, I think, to understand in this season as a world, it's actually bringing to my mind the theological truth of what's going on, the spiritual reality. And there's two very important places that this battle is for me that I, was, that I understand. The first one is for us as individuals. And I recognize that, that individually there's these encounters. You look at the New Testament, I just had a very quick look and here's three involving Jesus and the reality of individual spiritual warfare. This is what it says in Matthew chapter four. It says news about him, about Jesus, spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon possessed, or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Wow. So people hear about this healer, Jesus, and they bring all sorts of people. Some of them have a physical sickness. Some of them have a mental sickness. And some have, have this demon possession, this reality of the spiritual battle going on. And they're brought to Jesus, they're these individuals. This is what it says in Luke chapter eight. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. It's just this matter of fact, of course. Don't, the, the, the writer, the, the storyteller doesn't even skip a beat. Of course, that's what happens. Jesus greets people who are demon-possessed. happens every day. So there's this reality that no one has to question. They know that there is such a thing as being demon-possessed as an individual. And listen to what it says in Mark chapter 3. This is an interesting one. This is what it says, verse 22. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's, Jesus, is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. This is an interesting one. These teachers of the Jewish law hear about Jesus, they turn up and their argument is, of course demon possession's real, you're casting out demons, Jesus, and here they say, you're in fact doing it by the power of demons. But at no point is anyone questioning the reality of the war. They question Jesus and where he's coming from, but they don't question the reality of the invisible war, of course. And I want to just pause for a second, because even this, this is an interesting verse. It mentions Satan, and it mentions demons, and I just want a quick word about terminology. This has been very helpful for me in better navigating the spiritual battle, in better understanding this invisible war. Because if you misunderstand the terminology, there's been lots of centuries of us building up pictures 
of what demons are, who Satan is, and there's lots of different ideas on that. Now, here's something interesting. From the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Satan always had the in front of it, ha-satan. So it had an article there that said the, and basically it tells us it's not a name, but it's more a role that was being played. And in Hebrew, when you look at it, what it might mean for us in English, some people say it means the accuser. It means the adversary. And so the picture that's presented here is there is one who opposes us making these good choices. There are the, the spiritual reality is that we can be influenced by one who tells us and deceives us and makes us go a certain way. That's true. But Satan is less the name. Think about it, uh, if you know the story, there's actually a time when Jesus is gathered around by all his followers, his people. And Peter, one of the followers, essentially says, you don't have to die, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, you're being like Satan. He calls Peter Satan. So what are you going to do with that today? We're going to well, hang on a sec. Did, did Peter manifest? Did he become Satan at that point? Or is what Jesus is saying is there is a deception in what you're telling me. It sounds good to the ear, but of course Jesus knew I must go. This is my course. This is my decision. And we still see him struggle with that decision. In the garden at Gethsemane, on the cross. But there's this powerful imagery in fact, the scriptures say that he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And Jesus was saying, don't trip me up here. The word demon in the New Testament that's used, that we even read about there, it comes and it creates in, for us in English, it basically comes out as demigod. So where we use the English word demigod, this is this word demon. And what it means is essentially a lesser God. This is hierarchy again. I want you to hear this. There is no denial of God's, small g, of, of, of this divine counsel, of this, these celestial beings. There is no hesitation in the scriptures about it. But one picture that we're getting here is they're less than. They're not God. They have power in some way, but they don't have ultimate power. And so this word demon, demons, is saying they're less than God. And part of one of the things might be treating them as God, listening to them and, and paying attention to their ways. The word devil, the Greek word for devil is actually where we get the English word diabolical. a lot of sense to me this terminology is pointing us towards this reality when we're trying to make these choices we have this creator who wants us to live in this way in connection with him for him with him but there's going to be these powers there's going to be these influences that want to accuse us want to go up against us they want to um influence us as lesser than God and, and the outcome is diabolical. It leads to destruction, not life. 
there is this hierarchy and this reality at play in the invisible war that we must heed. So as individuals, I can't escape it. Some of you may know the reality of that. My own, part of my conversion, part of my own turning towards God was a very spiritual experience, a dream, at a vision. In 1999, I, I, I wasn't going, didn't, I thought there was a God, but I was just living my own way. Probably deceived is the language that's being used here. Thinking, yeah, I'll be. And I had a dream one morning, so, so real, I cannot describe it. Does it an injustice to try and ex- describe it to you? I was half awake, half asleep, and I dreamt I died. And the reality of that experience shocked me. It wasn't, I could hear things, it was black, I couldn't see anything, I could hear screaming, but it was my own emotion in it that really rocked me. I felt hopeless, I felt absolutely destroyed. I felt without hope and without love. And in that instant, I thought, no, no, hang on, Billy, you're just, you're just having a dream. Just open your eyes. I felt a little bit of relief. I thought, oh, it's just a dream. And I opened my eyes and I was still there. And I cannot tell you that I will never forget the reality of that encounter. I will never forget it. And so I want to clearly state there is an individual battle that's being had, absolutely. I will never deny that. But I worry that perhaps in the church, the second battlefront is something that we don't often think about. And I wanna draw our attention that the biblical narrative is constantly not just talking about individual battle, but the corporate battle. If you look through the the, the Bible narrative, if you look through the Old Testament and flowing through the New Testament, there is this constant calling out of structures and systems that do not care for people. In the Old Testament, we read about Egypt and how it has this incredible influence, this power over God's people. The Hebrews are slaves. We even read in the story that God encounters Moses and says, I want to, I've heard my people's cry. I'm a God of justice. Come and worship me. And when Moses goes and tells Pharaoh as the leader of this system, do you know what happens? Pharaoh makes it twice as bad for them as slaves. He doubles their workload and lessens their resources. That's what evil systems do. They manipulate, they desecrate, they make humans non-human. And the Bible is gonna mention this. It mentions Old Testament, talks about Babylon. And sometimes that's metaphorical, that's talking about other things, but It is talking about the nation Babylon and the terrible practices, the disgusting systems that are being set up that use people and abuse people and that is not a reflection of the creator of this world. And even then in the New Testament, Jesus comes into the Jewish context and what is it? They are being oppressed by the Roman rule. They're marginalised people who are, who are being pulled from pillar to post. And again, we even in the Jesus story, we hear that when Jesus is born, his parents have to whisk him away. Interestingly, he goes to Egypt. Why? Because this King Herod, he's got some territorial rights. He's not Roman, but he's got territorial rights. And he's got this corrupt system. He wants to kill 
Jesus. And then Jesus himself is even going to grow up and not just talk about the Romans, but he's going to talk about the religious. That system. And he's going to call it out where there's corruption. And he's going to call it out for where it's less than the spirit of God in it. And so I please, I plead with you. And I I know this is a mixed service, different people listening online, different people here. But I am just going to say to the generation that's growing up, that's coming up, that we need to just not take seriously this individual evil. But we must be, as God's called out ones, we must be looking at these systems and structures that are not honouring God, that are not honouring anyone that's been made in his image, and that's everyone. Where there's poverty, where there's racism, where there's discrimination, where there's economic injustice, where there's gender imbalance, where there's, I'll I'll allow you and I I implore you, please don't ignore the reality. The Bible is filled with that as a very important battlefront. And part of us bearing the spirit of the good news is to address that battle. Sometimes it can feel easier And that sounds crazy, but we'll do the individual stuff. We'll talk all day about evil in our own lives. And yet we are then going to step into systems and structures and we don't ask any questions. It's just not right. We're called to engage in this battle. We get a choice. Are we going to rebel and not pay any attention or the choice is still there for us? Anything that is not the kingdom of God, we're being asked to, to battle against. That's the language. Sometimes easier to have that individual focus, but please don't ignore the corporate. This big calling on our lives to create, to invite, to welcome the kingdom of God in our midst. We must address these things. These evil structures and systems, they have a power over people as well. Not just the demons, not just the Satan. These systems are having a big bearing on people's lives. And we have a God that is a God of justice, a God of shalom, peace, liberty, love, light. So we must join together to battle that. Jesus is reminding and reconnecting everybody here. He is the light. We read that in that John passage. He is the light of the world and he is shining into dark places, individually but also corporately. He's he's bringing about the true Hebrew hope. They were promised this messianic one, this, this liberator. And I would suggest that it is the not just a Hebrew story, but a human story. That we long for God to shine his light, that we would be light bearers, and that the true hope of all humanity is this light. I just want to make a a very brief statement, not not an answer, but I just want to recognise a difficulty I have or something that you should be aware of in this battle. And one of the things that I want to draw to your attention is the interplay between mental health and spiritual warfare. I don't profess to know heaps. I'm just posing it as an issue if we're not careful because... I have been around some people, there are some areas within this that would call 
um, some of that mental health demon possession and there's this movement sometimes to try and pray the demons out of people. Now again, I realise tension in it, but even in that scripture you heard that there were some who had epilepsy, but there were some who were demon-possessed. Even the New Testament talks about distinction. And I don't profess, I've got deep relationships with some people who do have very serious mental health issues and um, part of the integrity, if I was to be honest with you, I've suffered some things myself, but there is such a complexity to mental health and I'd re- I don't think it would be honouring and fair if we just let that bubble up into some blanket statement that you've got a demon. So just be very cautious, please. And I'm not silly enough to think there aren't people here tonight in this crowd or listening online and you aren't perhaps in that place. And I just want to, I feel my, uh, uh, the call of the Spirit in this place is that we aren't that sort of a place. We understand more the complexity and the nuances. And for people with mental health, sometimes they need a good counsellor more than they need some prayer to remove something. Helping and encouraging them to take whatever medicine's been prescribed and walk with them in their pain and complexity, that is the Jesus thing to do. And so I just encourage you to consider carefully what that might mean in your connect groups, in this community called Bridgman, in your own families, in your own neighbourhoods, your workplaces. Just be conscious of that, please. One of the most helpful things I've got in this understanding of the invisible war is where I come from. And if anyone knows where I come from, from northwestern New South Wales, I have this bush and this Aboriginal heritage that means a lot to me and place is important to me. And that informs me. And I come from an area in New South Wales that's called Big Sky Country. Okay, now some of you might not know, might not have seen it, and Big Sky Country is flat country. That's why I call it Big Sky Country. I live on the the plains, the, the, the flat plains of northwestern New South Wales. Here's a photo from out near a place called Walgut. My grandfather was born out near Walgut, underneath one of our traditional birthing trees, and that is Big Sky Country. Do you get the picture? Flat as a tack. Even the property that we've got as Dion out of Dolby, that's big sky country too, flat country. The Western Downs, the plains out that area. And that place is so powerful for me because even Hebrew thinking, same as Aboriginal thinking, there is a sky realm. That's the spiritual. When you read that Genesis account, we read about that. That's this picture of the celestial beings, the reality of the spiritual. You can't escape it in big sky country. It's there for you to see. But you can't just have spirit in big sky country. You can't just have sky. What else you got to have? Land. The reality of the physical. And every time I'm in big sky country, I am reminded of the reality of the spiritual and the physical. And this horizon becomes for me a clarion call, a reminder of the reality of those two things that come together. That we are spiritual and we are physical. And if we're not careful, we will dismiss the reality of the spiritual. I know for some, well, I had a great yarn after the four o'clock. And some people say, and in our culture, we don't talk much about spiritual stuff. Um, In the Aboriginal community, we're very 
aware. I could tell stories all night and, you know, and, and again, there's a, there's a balance in that. I, I love that there is still this balance that's being called for. I remember once we went out, we've got a couple of cousins. See, you're getting this theme of cousins. In Dion, we've got a couple of cousins. I shouldn't name them, but Glendon and Edgar. Um, two cousins, they've, they've got differences, but gee, they're alike when it comes to being frightened of the dark. I love hanging around them when it's dark, you know, and... Anyway, what happens is out there one night, I was out at Dolby and I'm sitting around the fire, 40 acre property, and I see these lights bouncing up and down. And then all of a sudden they go smaller. Now you may not have heard of this, but there's a place in Western Queensland called Bullia. And Bullia's pretty famous. It's right on the Northern Territory border and it's called the place of the Min Min Light. And people have described this spiritual experience, actual experience of seeing these lights follow them. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's coming to Dolby. Look at the light. And then down it goes. And then lo and behold, around the corner comes Edgar. And it all makes sense. One of my Dion boys, one of the Dion lads. Because I remembered that Edgar had come and dropped his family off at the dormitory and then he had to drive 100 metres out to the front to park his car and we don't have any front lights. And so what I realised had happened was Edgar was running. <laughs> he turned his light on, realised how dark it was and that was what the light was going like that. And then when he got to the corner where there was lights, he said, that's pretty embarrassing. So then he started walking. That's the Min Min light if you see it out of Dolby. It's just uh, Edgar or Glendon running in the dark. I don't have to tell our mob much about the spiritual reality. But some of you here tonight, you may, you may be in a loop that doesn't realise how important it is to be aware of it. That it is a reality. Maybe as you reflect on your life, as you look back on things, there might be some aha moments. Maybe even at the moment for you, it might actually provide a spiritual answer to a physical reality for you. It's to be held in balance, I get that. That's why I think the hierarchy thing just blows my mind. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. It's a fairly famous passage on this. This is what it says in Ephesians 6. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the diabolical one, the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's true, people. We are in a spiritual battle, individually and corporately, in the systems and structures that we participate in. And I never thought this in my own culture. We don't talk a lot about hierarchy, communal belonging, group decision-making. But in this spiritual realm, I see how important the hierarchy is. Because it's important for us to know, as the biblical truth tells us, that there is a supreme God. There are these lesser ones, and they do have an influence. But there is this God who is all-powerful, And not only is he all powerful, but he's also all vulnerable. He is the lion and the lamb. And not only is he the greatest, as in his power, but he's the most gracious, 
and his love and he holds these things in balance for us and his creation. And there is this battle and we do get a choice. God has always given us this choice and we can choose to be aware of it individually and corporately or we can choose to ignore it. We have this tradition, I started by telling you about my grandfather in the army in Australia and New Zealand. We honor the Anzacs and there's that amazing statement that gets said to every Anzac day and it is lest we forget. Essentially what people are saying is always remember. And I pray that as you begin to explore and navigate and become aware of in new ways the reality of the invisible war, I pray that you will always remember we have a God who is light and life and love and that cannot be overcome. Let's pray. Sometimes we close our eyes for prayer. I think that's important sometimes. Some of you might feel like keeping your eyes open. There's no... No calling you out on either tonight, either here in the auditorium or at home. I invite you to do what you think is most comfortable and right at the moment. But there's two... Categories is not a great word. There's two experiences that might be going on that I'm really conscious of tonight. The first is this. Some of you have been a little bit oblivious of the spiritual battle. It's not been that at the forefront of your minds. It's not been something that you've looked at or for. And maybe, maybe that's been to your own detriment. Maybe that's part of the deception tonight. Maybe the, the... the accuser, the adversary, maybe that's a small victory. It says in that Ephesians passage, don't be unaware of the schemes and making light of the spiritual battle. That might be one of the schemes, I think. So I just wanna give you an opportunity now. Maybe close your eyes if that's you. And I'm just gonna give you some time to commune with God who I believe is present. Can't see him by his spirit, but I believe his spirit's with us. He tells us that. You just might invite the Spirit to shine a light on that. That experience or that ongoing issue, maybe it is a spiritual battle one. Maybe you've not invited the Holy Spirit to come into that. Maybe you've not spoken about the reality of Christ in and through that, the Almighty One who loves you. Just invite you to open that up to Him right now. Whatever language that is, help me, Lord, show me, Lord. Is this a spiritual battle, Lord? Who should I talk to, Lord? And that's an act of faith. We trust 
and believe that God is with us. The second experience I'm deeply conscious of and aware of is perhaps you are in the battle right now. It's raging. And as a soldier, you're weary, maybe discouraged, struggling, and you're just deeply conscious that you are right in the guts of it. And based on what we read, the character of this God who is great love, who is great light, then maybe tonight you just want to call out to him to enter that place, to assure you of his presence with you, to once again set your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, that priestly warrior, Jesus, the one who has all authority and power. There is a hierarchy. And the story tells us that he is the king of kings. And he's your king if you decide for him. I just invite you, perhaps through tears, through hands raised, whatever that might look like, that you would invite God to help you in the battle right now. King of light and life and love. We want to acknowledge you. You are the creator, the supreme one who holds all power and all love and life. Your graciousness and your mercy help us as we make decisions for you to walk this path of life and light, to take up this battle and the realities for ourselves and those around us and this world that you love. Help us. For those that are weary and burdened, I pray restoration and peace and hope. For any that don't see the truth, well, may you open the eyes of their heart so that they do see. And help us to address this greatest of lies that we are alone. You promise us a relationship now and for all times. Help us as we walk into that truth, even here tonight. In Jesus' name. I know it's late, but we are worshipping in this moment, aren't we? I, I just sense that God is affirming Praise God for the way He spoke tonight. I, I, I hope if you're sitting in your lounge room, you're sensing what God is saying. Billy said it, hierarchy, authority belongs to Christ. And He's raising faith within us at the very start of this series that He's the one in charge. He's the one with authority. I wanna read you this from Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice. We, we need to sing a bit more, I think, after this, but listen to this from Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of His Messiah. 
for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Jesus has won the victory. They triumphed over Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. God is calling us to stand in the battle and to say, hey, we're going to take up our cross. And as we do that, the authority that the Lamb has is going to come on this earth and bring victory over the accuser. So let's sing, let's stand with Him, align ourselves with Him tonight. In fact, man, man, Jesus. Nothing can separate us. You've torn back the veil by your blood. And, uh, and we're so thankful, God. We are so thankful here tonight. So Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Stand in the battle with courage, suffering love on behalf of a world that needs to know you, that needs to see you. And so God, we say right at the very start of this series, we are standing with you. We know that we can't stand by ourselves, but when we are with you, we will be able to stand against the devil's schemes and, and move into all the things that you have for us, the good works that you've prepared for us before the beginning of time, works of love. This week in our church, as, as your people, we will do that, Lord, with your help. So thank you, Father, for the faith that you've built in our hearts tonight. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you would like prayer, please uh, just turn to the person next to you. They can pray for you or you can come down the front and uh, someone would love to pray for you here. If you're online, email prayerbridgeman.org.au. We'd love to stand with you in that way as well. But great being together, isn't it? Come back next week. Come uh, be in the building as well if you're online. But uh, God bless you this week. Well, thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you, we'd love to help you on the journey of faith. You can reach out to us by emailing hello at bridgman.org.au or if you have a prayer need, don't forget to email us at prayer at bridgman.org.au and we'd love to pray for you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.